0: Hey, what's up? It is Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650 on a Canucks game day. It's Jamie Dodd. It's my co-host, Canucks Insider Thomas Drance, who You also read at the Athletic. Canucks talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota All Star Team. Avenue Machinery.ca. Douglas Lake Equipment.com. Hey, what's com. up? Hey, yeah. what's up? What? Hey, fellow kids. What? People don't say what's up anymore. What's up? <laughs>
1: That's the trendy reference, right?
0: I did see that going around on Twitter. Hey, what's up? A classic Budweiser.
1: (laughs) Hey, what's up? 2009. We're talking about the Canucks.
0: What's up? Doesn't an uh, up-and-coming, exciting NHL team? Hold on. People don't say "what's up" anymore. Yeah, they do. No one says "what's up" anymore.
1: Come on. When was the last time? Or, or, or or it's, uh, or it's derivative. You know what people say now? As a derivative text message. Inquiring as to what someone is doing late at night. Sup? Yes, yeah, sup.
0: Yeah, but I'm not gonna say that. Sup, Vancouver. That, see, that Welcome would be, to Canucks talk. <laughs> that would be Sports trying. That would be trying to be young and hip. If I said sup, that would be ridiculous. Eh. What's up is just colloquial, whatever. Hello, fellow uh, kids. I, I refuse to apologize. <laughs> refuse to apologize <laughs> Steve Boucher with skateboard over here. <laughs> no, I embrace being <laughs> ancient and decrepit. Uh, we are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics ancient provider. and Supported decrepit. by over 1,500 five-star <laughs> Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. And 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And this texter says, uh, I say what's up, and I'm only 28. So there you go. Uh, You're under old, 30. too. 28 <laughs> no, Oh, no. You know what? You know what? Don't we, start that. You know
1: what we say about 28-year-olds on this program? Past <laughs> <That's> their prime.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. He, no longer in their prime here season. Here he is, the oldest player in the <laughs> league. A miracle. Uh, okay, so it is a- I've uh, got my whole life ahead of me. It is <laughs> a- uh, Okay, and Lena, producer Lena just texted me, and she hosts, of course, uh, OT, uh, her and Lindsay Horsting. And Lena, I don't even know how old she is, but she's much younger than me, and she says- I say, "What's up?" This is Ot on my show every time. So there you go. Wow. So Sorry. there you go. Sorry, you're right. I'll
1: retract that you are pretending to be young, and I will instead level the charge that you are plagiarizing Lena. Yes. There we go. That's correct.
0: <laughs> I stole it from Lena. I don't know. I normally <laughs> say what. The good
1: news is, the good news is you've been acquitted for being <laughs> for trying to be hip. The bad news is you're now a plagiarist.
0: I don't know. I usually say, "What's going on?" I was just like, I don't know, mix it up a little bit. Fair enough. Variety like is it. the spice of life. Yeah, I, I, don't, I like don't know. It. Now I'm going to be so self conscious when <laughs> I begin the <this> show tomorrow. <laughs> France is just waiting to pounce on me at whatever. Absolutely. However, I start the show. Um, well, the Canucks <laughs> do play today. Uh, we got lots to get into. Jeff Merrick's going to join us in about five minutes here. A uh, little bit go. different, obviously, getting Merrick on in the first segment. But he's a busy guy, so we take Merrick whenever we can get him here uh, on Canucks Talk. Merrick's a tone setter. Yeah. He's a tone setter on this yeah, program. Lead, he's, he's a tone setter for SportsNet. Yeah. Gonna go. get on base and he, he's going to do the job. Yep. Um before we get into the matchup with the Penguins, Good also uh, some interesting quotes from Jim Rutherford. Of course, it's a matchup between his current team and his former team in Pittsburgh. Uh, had an interview in- interesting interview with a member of the Penguins media, Seth Rorabaugh, uh, in the Pittsburgh Tribune review that we'll talk about a little bit. Uh, I did want to mention, I did want to point this out. I, I got it out there on Twitter as well before the show. But shout out to the Philadelphia Flyers. 4 nothing winners over the Buffalo Sabres last night. You know what that did, Drance? Bumped they them up the above the Canucks. For both points now, and for points now. percentage. I know it looks bad pending on Pending tonight's result. Pending tonight's result. You're
1: expecting the Canucks to fade away on this road trip. But you're a Canucks fan and you know that they are winning three of their next four. You
0: know it. You know it. I know it. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. (laughs) It sure wouldn't surprise me. And the
1: worst part about it is going to be after they trounce Pittsburgh at PPG Paints Arena, a historic house of horrors for the club. They're then going to beat the three-time Eastern Conference champion Tampa Bay Lightning in Tampa Bay and just wait for the chatter. Later this week. Do you not believe? Why are you criticizing this team after a win? This is what's coming. I don't know if it is, though. Like the rain in Vancouver.
0: It's inevitable. Uh Alan Calgary texted him, be careful our management doesn't get a hold of that 28-year-old who texted him. They're going to want to give him an 8 by 8 deal. <laughs> That's Alan Calgary. It's <laughs> a very good text. Sign Nicely him up. Done. Just entering his prime texting years. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true, by the way. Uh, Anyways, uh, w- w- what's up? <laughs> my, my market value. <laughs> yes. Exactly. I don't know, though, if that will be the conversation. Should they go on this kind of unexpected...
1: No little no, win sorry. against
0: against tough conversation. The
1: majority of this fan base, I think, is completely unconvinced by this core group and this team. Yeah,
0: because even after they beat the Avs, the conversation was more. Why like, don't we see I'm that up go- more often? I'm, I'm more just like I'm pulling my hair out in frustration with this team. You know what I mean? Totally. And the lack of and the lack of meaningful direction. But that was the overwhelming sense I got. But like,
1: worst case scenario, they're still probably gonna I mean, without work to make them this team worse, they're still gonna win like 20 games the rest of the way. At least. And there's a sliver of the fan base that's going to look at each one until the club is like mathematically eliminated, basically. As like see – The way I felt in August 2020 validated. I was right all along. There you go.
0: Yeah, I mean, that exists, but what are you going to do?
1: Make fun of it. That's (laughs) what I'm going to do. I'm going to go on the air every day, and I'm going to make fun of it.
0: Uh, We have somebody else saying uh, that they're 24, and everyone says, what's up? Uh, And Marcus and Gibson says, Jamie, just use the term Gucci, and you'll be 16 again, as in the Canucks D has not been Gucci. They've been paying Gucci prices. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But they've not been getting Gucci results for the Canucks D. Well, yeah. So they've what been Versace? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't. I don't have, like. I have
1: I, a, like I have takes on designer. I was gonna goods. say like, wait, wow, you
0: have like a really strong, <laughs> a strong no, preference well, for one over the other. I will
1: say, I will say, Versace uh, imitated the flying skate logo, so they're dead to me. <laughs>
0: so that's really what they're I they're providing about. evidence that it's not an aesthetic nightmare as you. Yeah. If it was uh, a good logo, contend.
1: it was. If it was a good logo, it would have been ripped off by a good
0: brand. <laughs> Mar- Marcus and Gibson says Canucks D has been Joe Fresh. Hey, Joe Fresh, reliable, reliable kids' clothing, I will say. Yeah, I actually strongly disagree
1: with that. A Joe Fresh blue line sounds great. A Joe Fresh blue line is like what the Pittsburgh Penguins had when they won their back-to-back mm. cups. You know, like affordable but gets the job Daly, done. Trevor Daly, Ron Hainsey, Justin Schultz. Yeah, affordable gets the job done. They had like a $17 million total blue line once Latang got hurt and won a cup with it. That's a Joe Fresh blue line. That's pretty what good. I'm talking about. That's maybe maybe good. it's more like a um, Primark blue line. but yeah, yeah. sure.
0: Uh, it is a Canucks game day. Uh, they take on the Pittsburgh Penguins at 4 o'clock tonight, or this afternoon, really, I should say. Uh, of course, you can hear it here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, we'll play some audio from Bruce Boudreaux in a little bit. Um, Some concerning commentary about the state of the team
1: vis-a-vis injuries Yeah, from Boudreaux. also Demko confirmed not to return this road trip. Yeah, I uh, this this road trip looms large I think for Bruce Boudreaux. You know, I think if it I think if this team gets back like 0 and 5, 1 and 4 I feel like that's going to start the winds of change blowing, particularly given where we're at in this in the season at this point.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been on this for a while, right? Like I don't i I guess I do understand the concerns about one paying three coaches simultaneously, and two, the possibility of bringing in somebody new and getting that bounce. I just think they've been pretty clearly outweighed by the chance to have a coach that you actually like and 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 getting alignment, that alignment that you always talk about, right? because we can we can talk about all the different ways that you can try to prioritize different things for the remainder of the season, right? Is it about development? Okay, should they try this out? Do you want to get a look at this? It's really hard to do that when you have Bruce Boudreaux still coaching because of the relationship between him and the front office. At this point, though, you get to a
1: place where the Canucks have played half the season, right? And then you structure the deal to be backloaded on half the season, right? I mean, that's simple. Sure. That's simple. That, like, significantly reduces your – I just – it feels like a natural demarcation point. We haven't heard from the front office. If this road trip goes badly, before the homestand, you hear from them. They chart a plan from then until the deadline, introduce a new coach, all in one fell swoop. Just makes sense to me. Just a theory. Anyway,
0: Jeff, on the line. Yeah, is now joining us on the show. You hear him as the host of the jeff merrick show and also of course as part of 32 thoughts on a hockey night in canada he is uh, the great jeff merrick jeff big day for you i got to chat with a couple of nhl gms earlier on your show and now you get to speak to us what a thrill
2: i know this is the highlight this is my crescendo <laughs> as well this is like the uh, this is what i've been i've been building this day you know kevin adams with the warm up back, ron fances Got us a little bit closer to the main stage. Now here I am. Yes,
0: I'm, I, I'm sure. I'm sure that's exactly how it went in your mind. Um, we were just talking about, you know, the possibility. They're on this really brutal road trip now. Started with a loss yep. in Winnipeg. Now they got Pittsburgh, yep. and then down to Florida and, and Carolina. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I'm kind of of the mind that if it hasn't happened yet, I don't know what's going to make it happen. But could you see that, you know, if there is an o, a one and four, or an 0 for five type of result here that? they finally, you know, pull the Band-Aid
2: off and uh, and move on from Bruce Boudreaux? I mean, I, I guess there's always a chance to. I mean, how many times in this, in, in this saga have we paused and said, okay, this is the window where they're going to do it? Like, we all know what's going to happen here. We all know where this road is eventually going to lead. It's only a matter of when uh, it happens, right? Like, we're all on the same page about here. This isn't breaking news by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I mean, there, there have been a number of different, Stops along the way where we've wondered if okay the timing is right now. No, the timing is right now. Like unless you've identified like like I'm I'm a I know that you can always use you know the, someone in an interim capacity, but you know I've always been one of those people that says you know don't jump until you have somewhere to land, and unless you have you know definitely a, a plan or a place to land, I always come shy of saying yeah this is the right time to do it or. Yeah, this is a time to do it, but make no mistake at the end of this road trip, if it goes miserably and who knows about tonight, because we have no idea which Pittsburgh Penguin team is going to show up They're one of the more <laughs> enigmatic teams in the NHL. It, it could happen at the, at the end of this road trip if the wheels come off the wagon. But I, I always feel weird saying that, you know, to Jamie and Thomas, because I I've said it so many times before mm. where it's like, OK, here's the window. No, here's the window. So somewhere along the way, I've kind of, you know, sort of not given up, but I've stopped kind of saying, this is this is the window. This is this is when it's going to happen.
1: Jeff, I'm going to pick at the coaching situation with my next two questions, but in broad terms, okay. not about the Canucks specifically. So okay. how weird is it that anyone who bet a first coach fired ticket before the season is still waiting to see if their bet will pay out?
2: I'm with you. Although the, the one thing that I will always come back to as well is, um coming out of covid teams don't want to carry bad money right well if 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 your season has come totally you know totally unglued i mean it sounds awful but you kind of stick the coach there with it and a lot of that is just sort of financial like why are we bringing someone else in if the season if the season's lost why are we going to pay a couple of million dollars to have our our future, you know, our, our future coach shepherd the team to the to the end of the season. You just kind of stick the guy that's there with it. Now, the counter argument to that, this is the one that I always bring up is if you have a young team and you have uh, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of young players, a lot of prospects and you're grooming a squad, you're redeveloping your team, you don't want them to get the message that losing is okay and as much as you can, you want them to be able to feel what Three periods of hockey feels like, and what a full season of competitive hockey feels like, and that's always been the other example. But coming out of COVID, we all know that you know everyone's trying to save money wherever they can. That story's well told, so that's the the the, the one area where I'll look at and say, you know, we all know the teams that are out, and if you're out because you know what's the old Sam Kennison line? If if you're going to miss heaven, don't miss it by two inches. Like if you're going to miss, really miss, give yourself the best shot at Connor Bedard. And sometimes by not making the move, you get yourself closer to what you really want in a lost season. If you catch my drift, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Well, I I was wondering, like I was going to ask you buying or selling is part of what we're seeing the Bedard effect.
2: I, I do. And I think that what's happened now, and this is part of, okay, this is a really interesting conversation. Okay. So I think part of this is teams are much more comfortable doing this now that everyone has seen Connor Bedard. Like, you guys right. in the West have seen Connor Bedard, okay? A lot of people in the East and casual hockey fans n- didn't get a sense of who Connor Bedard was until the World Juniors. Now, a lot of talent evaluators, a lot of scouts will look at the U-20s and say, it's a development tournament, you people in Canada are crazy, you know, you wrap it in a flag and you pour maple syrup on it, it becomes part <laughs> of your identity and you're insane. <laughs> we look at it like it's, okay, this is best on best, peer on peer, where do these guys slot who's developing who's who's regressing that's how we look at this tournament but the one thing it's really interesting that's a really interesting question too because the one thing that this tournament has done this year is it's made it easier for teams to tank
0: mm-hmm.
1: because
2: fans can look at Connor Bedard and say our team stinks and that's okay because we have a shot at this guy like everybody in the west knows this okay anyone who follows you know hockey prospect twitter they all know this but now everybody does. So it's more palatable if you're Montreal. It's more palatable if you're Columbus. It's more palatable if you're, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's frustrating if you're Philadelphia and you've won four out of your last five after <laughs> having watched what Connor Bedard has done here. But now I think it's, that's so interesting, Thomas, because I think it makes it easier now for teams to say, you know what? I know you can't ask it player to lose and you can't ask a coach to coach against the team but if we're blowing this thing up it makes it easier because at least our fans will understand because they've seen Connor bedard so they can at least see what we're aiming at here
1: well and, and as much as vancouver is familiar with bedard the conversation changed over the last two weeks. Like he began to feel like this tangible looming presence. And of course it helped that there was no one close to him in his age group. Right. I mean, there was, there were some really strong draft eligible performances at the world juniors. Yeah. He blew everyone out of the water with, with this conversation though, the question that like, at the end of the day, there's one fan uh, of this team in, in Vancouver's case, but sometimes it's a board, what have you, but there's, you know, an ownership tier, right? Where where you root for the team, but also you're having conversations with a variety of VIPs, other people in your life about the team. And now they know who Connor Bedard is. Do you think that might change the aggressiveness with which we see teams like jockey for a spot at the bottom between
2: now and the deadline? The race to the bottom. Well, Mm. we saw it once upon a time with Buffalo and Edmonton. That was an interesting race. Uh, that was the, probably the the last time. I, I think that um, when you consider how much he can single handedly change your franchise, and that there's one other there's one other part of Bedard here that I want to throw. There's a, like one other log that I want to throw on the fire. Mm-hmm. The fact that he has steadfastly and resolutely refused to even entertain the idea of being traded from a Regina Pats team that, you know, they're not one of the big dogs. We all know this. We all know the the big dog teams here. And maybe if, you know, Bedard plays out of his mind and goes Mario Lemieux, they can, they can win around, but we ultimately know what's going to happen to Regina. Um, the fact that he has resolutely shown this loyalty, um, the fact that after winning gold, he refused to talk about himself and only focused on the team, I think if you're one of these bottom-end teams, that even makes him more attractive than he already was, that you know that you're not going to get a, I'm refusing to report here, or you know, he's not going to get drafted and have donkey lip about anything. There's going to be no pouting, you know, because that's the kind of, like, he sees everything as a challenge and something to overcome. I think that made him just that much more desirable. Like, we all know the talent, Right. But now that he's, you know, the way that he's talked about hockey at the Royal Juniors, the way that he's, you know, refused to entertain the idea of being moved from Regina. And, like, look, you look at the Olin Zellweger deal to Kamloops, think about what that deal would have been for Connor Bedard. Oh, my goodness. Now, it, it might have been similar because that's a lot that obviously Kamloops gave up, but it would have been, you know, quite frankly, just a monster deal. We've never, we would have never have seen a deal like that in junior hockey. The fact that he wouldn't put himself in that position because he wants to stay with this team and he wants to stay in the fight and he wants to, and he doesn't want to bail. I think that makes him even that much more attractive and adds a whole other layer to this. And I think, yeah, that may have, change some people's opinions and i think for the positive and even diehard hockey people that will look at this and say well the smart hockey ops decision here like i thought a lot about john paddock here guys in the last little while Mm -hmm. the hockey ops part of john paddock probably says we know what the right hockey thing is here but you're not taking to into account who that person is and how valuable now he's making even more valuable he's making himself to columbus to arizona to any of these other – Chicago, all of these other teams that are going to be in the sweepstakes for Connor Bedard. And so, yeah, I, I think that probably does turn the conversation even more, even for people who are on the fence, right? Like if you're on the fence about Bedard before the World Juniors, A, you see the performance, B, you see the perspective. He comes back to Junior. First game, he goes Christmas tree, and he's still saying, <laughs> I'm staying on this ship.
0: It's it's a good point, Jeff, because I can't tell you the number of texts we get asking uh, you know, could this kid pull a Lindros and, and force his way to the Canucks? Because of course he's from North Vancouver. And yeah, I don't see it yeah. happening with everything we've we've learned about Connor Bedard. I uh, just know who he is. A few more minutes here with Jeff no. Merrick uh, on Canucks talk. I wanted to ask you about Bo Horvat. I know uh yeah. Elliot mentioned the possibility of Seattle maybe getting involved in the yep. conversation. I know you talked to Ron Francis uh, earlier today How realistic do you see that idea? I mean, and I guess from both perspectives, right? From Seattle getting in on the bidding and offering what it would take to get him and the Canucks sending the captain to, you know, the team just down I-5, the potential geographic rival going forward.
2: I think that, you know, Ron Francis struck the right notes with me this afternoon, and it's an answer that you expect, which is, you know, we're very sensitive about this room. We have, you know, we've gotten to the spot right now. Uh, third place in our division. And, you know, we don't want to disrupt chemistry and all the things you would expect the general manager to do. So he doesn't essentially pull a pin and roll a grenade into his room and, and cause anything like he's coming on the show with me to make sure he doesn't deliver a headline. Like I asked Kevin Adams, the exact same thing and got, you know, similar answers as well. Like essentially what I asked was given how the team has performed, do you owe them a trade? And you know, the real answer is probably Yes. (laughs) (laughs) you know, for a lot of these situations, like I can recall, I think we all can, you know, the David Ayers game with the Toronto Maple Leafs. That was a Saturday night on hockey night in Canada. There were a bunch of trades that Dubas was going to pull the trigger on the next day. And after they lost to Carolina, the way they did with David Ayers and net, all those deals were off the table. Right. And it was the Maple Leafs don't deserve a trade. Like the way that they perform, like they're not going to, they're not going to get one out of me. So from the Seattle point of view, I, I, I think that Ron Francis, I don't think he's going to really jeopardize his future, but I think he's going to take a swing here. Cause I think he knows that his team has deserved it. I'll, I'll throw another team out there for you. Cause I got a text from someone. As soon as, as soon as Ron Francis mentioned that I got a text from someone who said, what about bull Horvat to Nashville? Mm. Because the one thing that we know as well, Nashville is another team that's looking for a center and they've hit a stride and they have games in hand on the Alberta teams. You know, David Poyle, as we know, isn't shy about pulling the trigger on a big deal and you know where a couple of seasons ago we thought he was going to strip this thing down not so fast he's doubled down on this team and they pick up ryan mcdonough and they're still going for it you know that's that's another team i think we can probably throw into the mix i mean i've always just assumed that it's colorado because it makes the most sense to use your replacement um but i think that there's a few i think seattle will be in the mix and i think that nashville will be in the mix too
0: very interesting, Jeff. Giving us something to chew on for the rest of the show. I appreciate it. I know you're busy. Uh, we'll let you go. And uh, I, hey, I did want to say just before we let you go, I'm loving sure. the uh, random player of the day feature. Oh, on the too show. much today, and, and it's too much. And no, next dude, time, like, no, seriously. It's, it's story time. And next time we get you on, we'll try to make time for uh, a random Canuck uh, of the day. Sure, story time, I
2: would maybe. love that. Yeah. Uh, I would,
0: I would love to do that.
2: Today was like I, guys, like I spent like 15, 20 minutes of network airtime on Jill Billedeaux. Like, who do I, who do I, like, how arrogant am I? Like, just because it amused, like, I left the show today. I'm like, how arrogant was that? Like, that was bad of me. Like, 20 minutes about Jill Abilado. Love Jill Abilado, but really, man. Hey, if they let you
0: get away with it, go for it, man. No, no, that's (laughs) the whole appeal. That's the whole appeal. You got to
1: play the hits, Jeff. You got to play the hits. Thanks for joining us, my
0: friend.
2: I don't know if it was a hit for anyone other than me, though.
0: (laughs) All right. We'll talk soon, Jeff. Appreciate it. Thanks, boys. Thanks, guys. (laughs) There he is. That is Jeff Merrick. You hear him here on Sportsnet Radio Network every day on the Jeff Merrick Show. And, of course, part of 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. We always plan
1: to go in a certain direction with Jeff and then –
0: we end up. He's got too I mean, many interesting things to say. We
1: got. We end up eight million miles away. Yeah, yeah. but it's always
0: great. That's no, always a good time. Um, Merrick's I, I was thinking. You know, we didn't. He he's he's a busy guy, so he's pressed for time. So I didn't have time to uh, throw the random Canuck. But I was just going through like, you know, the list of like career games played leaders for the Canucks, and just scrolling way down to the middle to try to find someone suitab- suitably random. And you know, part of me is thinking. Is this fair? Would this be fair to Merrick to put him on the spot with just some? Oh, guy? he's he'd like be fine. I guarantee you, I could choose like anyone on the list. He'd do ten minutes off the top of his head about that player. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Gerald Dirk, yeah. <laughs> tell tell us about his roommate and junior. Hundred percent, hundred percent, no doubt about it. Uh, and that's what makes him great. Um, very interesting. Seattle, and I thought the Nashville suggestion was a fascinating one. As okay, that's well. the team you want to deal with, by the way. New ownership. New ownership, right? That team's in the process of getting
1: sold. Mm -hmm. Haven't done anything in a while. Long-tenured GM who's never won anything there. I mean, Mm -hmm. he made a finals, but it's been, what, 20... A long time. Five years? Yep. Feeling the heat a little bit? A little bit of pressure? Lots of defensemen? It's an interesting one. Carrier, Fabro, lots of defensemen.
0: Yeah, probably the... The cap space, well, I don't know. I was going to say to do it, to sign him to an extension for next year as well. They they'd well, have but to the, move something. They'd have to move something, Yeah, but you, they'd have you'd to move take something. something back. Yeah. I mean, and they have a lot of,
1: like, mid-range stuff. They do. You yeah. know, like, even a guy like a um, – who's the local kid? Uh, Sissons. Sissons.
0: Colton Sissons. Like, yeah. that's
1: exactly the sort of player that this team doesn't have. You know, it, would I be advocating for this team to add a four-year deal for a 29-year-old normally? No. But if it's – to juice a return or enable a big trade, um, yeah, I'm I'm very interested in that.
0: Very interesting. Uh, we'll talk maybe a little bit more about that, uh, but I also want to get into the Jim Rutherford quotes and the matchup between the Canucks and the Penguins tonight. That's coming up next. It is Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Live from the Kintex studio, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. It is Canucks game day. They will take on the Pittsburgh Penguins in uh, just three and a half hours or so. Of course, you'll hear it all here. On Sportsnet 650, and I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the matchup between the two teams, Drancer, but also you know, one of the things I think caught a lot of people's interest among Canucks fans yesterday was uh, Jim Rutherford, an interview he gave to uh, Seth Rohrbaugh in the Pittsburgh Tribune uh, That's uh, you can find right now at triblive.com in the sports section, of course, Jim Rutherford, formerly the uh, the general manager in Pittsburgh, helped them win a couple of Stanley Cups during his time there. It's been about two years since he stepped down from that role in Pittsburgh. So interesting to to see what uh, what Jim Rutherford had to say, uh, both about the current team, about his past in Pittsburgh. And you know, it's fascinating because we certainly we've here we've heard lots from Jim Rutherford since he has been the president of hockey operations. Right? He is, and this is his playbook. And the the mo and the book on uh, on Rutherford for his entire career. Not shy about talking, not shy about getting his opinion, and being frank, and being frank, frank. being honest and direct. I would say it's fair to say, not that he's you know. I think there's also strategy, right? But just part of the strategy comes from the willingness to be frank. Yeah, you you don't last in this league for this long in this many high profile
1: roles without being a political operator. Yeah, you got to be smart. You got to be savvy. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> but broaching
1: the topic of retirement was stark for me. Definitely took me back. Um, look, this is a big job and a tough one, right? I mean, people in charge of the Canucks, like it's a hot seat. They age like presidents. Um, you know, Jim Rutherford obviously ages a number in his case, right? He's mm-hmm. um, tech savvy, he, yeah. high energy, still a very good golfer. Like, I think, like, a four handicap. Um, that's incredible. Yeah. That's like, amazing. I, I mean, I, I haven't been on the course with him, but I'm told just, like, everything's on the fairway. So just he's, like... like,
0: in shooting his age territory is what you're saying? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's pretty good. Absolutely. Uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> um, so, you know, but there's a lot of heat
1: that comes with this job, right? This job has a reputation of being a lot in terms of managing up. A lot in terms of managing in a city with 2 million general managers, including some on the radio. <laughs> uh, and obviously, there's a lot of scar tissue in this marketplace. I know Bruff uh, was talking about this earlier today. Like, does management understand the root cause of the Canucks fans' frustration, right? Mm. And I think that's a, a fair point, right? He, he directly mentioned the playoffs, and of course, the
0: playoffs ain't what we want, yeah, I mean, to be fair, he also mentions
1: getting it turned around, not and, but, but feeling he, the
0: responsibility, right? But what? Sorry, what I was going to say in terms of frustration, he mentions having existed this long and not having won a Stanley Cup. Totally. So right. there is some acknowledgement of the of that yeah. ultimate next goal. Sure.
1: You know, I think he was just honestly reflecting about the pressure. Would anyone blame the guy if you know? Sitting there with his three cup rings and his Hockey Hall of Fame resume, he's looking around at everything that's gone on with this team over the last six months and thinking, like, what, what have I gotten myself into? But do I like to hear it? Yeah, it makes me a little nervous. Makes me a little nervous. But look, again, Jim Rutherford's accomplished what he's accomplished for a reason. You know? Mm-hmm. I still I still have a lot of belief in him as sort of a, a guy who can run an organization and, and be enormously successful. But, and I, I just think he was honestly reflecting on the pressures and the situation and, like, the fact that it's been harder to untangle the cap than we expected. Yeah. Like, the fact that progress has been slower than they'd hoped, the fact that the rate of change has been less than they'd hoped, um, the fact that the controversy, the noise, has probably been more significant than he'd expected. You know, I I... I I don't know that I got a sense of buyer's remorse directly from the quote, but I feel like it hinted at it. So I'll and, read And that
0: makes me a little nervous. I'll read what he had to say on the topic of uh, of his career and, and retirement. And so first of all, this is the context is that he voluntarily stepped away from his job in Pittsburgh and, and specifically due to uh, mental strain resulting from COVID 19 and quarantine right he says i've been quarantined with my family for 11 months it affects you mentally i wasn't in a position at that time to go forward and do my job properly It uh, goes on to say this is not anybody's fault this is just something that we have all had to deal with that's not the way i would have wanted to leave i probably probably should have ended my career in pittsburgh after the success that we had there but it didn't play out that way and then on the subject of of retirement in general he says At this point in my life, the stress is harder to handle, but I'm not doing the day-to-day general manager stuff, so that should relieve some of the stress. We have our challenges here. I feel a big responsibility to try to make the Canucks better. I still deal with stress. If at some point that stress gets too hard to handle, that will probably be where I'll be retired somewhere. So those are Jim Rutherford's thoughts. And and it's interesting because he acknowledges the very, very high degree of stress, not just to be any general manager executive in the NHL, but also specifically here in Vancouver. But I, I, I thought the, I feel a big responsibility to try to make the Canucks better line was really fascinating there yeah. as well. And well, I think you get a sense that even for a guy who's won three cups, he recognizes what it means to be doing this in a Canadian market and specifically a Canadian market that has never won a Stanley cup, right? Like that, there is a big responsibility that comes along with that. Well, and you know, I, <sighs>
1: When when the Canucks first hired Rutherford, one thing I sort of thought was that this is a guy now managing for history. And I don't know that he feels that, to be totally honest with you. But I sort of wondered because I thought, if Jim can win here, if you add a f- cup with a third team, mm-hmm. that's something no one's ever done. Right? You do it all in the cap era, and you do it in a small market team, you know, a big market American team, and a Canadian team. I mean that's an unassailable resume. Then the conversation is sam Pollock Jim Rutherford, end of list. you know i I don't know that he feels that same weight. I don't know that he views it that way, but I almost wish he would <laughs> because not not to add stress to his sort of ledger, but man if you if you could win here, it would just be such. An amazing thing, like the reaction in this city, uh, it's 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 indescribable. I mean, we saw it with the Chicago Cubs and, and Theo yeah. Epstein, um, and the Red Sox and Theo Epstein, for that matter, as well. So maybe the Canucks should hire Theo <laughs> Epstein.
0: <laughs> I could see it. I could see uh, it. Uh,
1: look, the Chicago Blackhawks hired that baseball guy. Yeah, I don't think it's the worst call, to be totally honest with you. Anyway, especially you know what? Especially because these organizations now, these billion-dollar organizations uh beholden to a variety of increasingly complicated like media rights deals and uh promotional considerations and community considerations and increasingly too like internal HR considerations. Mm. Right? Like what what's one takeaway that we all should have from the Kyle Beach um circumstance with the Chicago Blackhawks. When something like that happens, you need real like leadership. Not not hockey leadership, not leadership in like a rah-rah sense, but like True, like, good corporate citizen leadership in the room dictating, like, someone needs to be the guy who says,
0: guys, in this scenario, the conference final kind of doesn't yeah, matter. We, somebody has to be the person that to move it beyond hockey.
1: Correct. Correct. To
0: move it out of the realm of hockey and into the realm of actually important stuff. So, like, I'm not saying I want a
1: baseball guy at the World Juniors being like, is Neil Zaman worth an AHL deal or should we full court press and sign him to an ELC because he might be able to play NHL games as soon as this season? Like, yeah. That's a call I want a guy like Patrick Alvin making, right? But are there circumstances where at the helm of an organization, having someone with a broader depth of experience, like at least an NBA, probably um, more than that, um, and and a ton of real world corporate experience can be helpful in navigating all of the various complicated minutiae that that professional sports teams bump up against, and that we've seen this Canucks team bump up against at the ownership level, at the hockey operations level, just in the last four or five months. Um, you know, I, I'm not I'm not opposed to that. I don't think that's a bad call necessarily, as hockey teams sort of grapple with just how complicated winning in this league has become not, not to mention managing the fans and managing all the, all all the different sorts of issues that crop up in, in our contemporary world. Like the real world, effectively lapping at the gates of, of, of hockey has sort of been the story that's dictated everything around this sport since what, since certainly the pandemic, but you you combine the pandemic with the shutdown in the bubble with, you know, what hockey Canada has gone through with the, um, with the uh, reckoning that happened with coaches and their treatment of players and on and on down the list. I mean, really, I do think in a contemporary hockey, hockey operations environment, like the standard has to be higher than it's been historically in terms of the level of professionalism, right? And the level of sort of attention to cultural and professional norms, than anything we've experienced historically. So tr- truly, if the Canucks hired Theo Epstein as as a, a hockey operations in a hockey operate like a head of hockey operations job, I'd be like, that's a coup. I, I wouldn't even think it's weird. I think that's exactly right. He better have some good hockey
0: people yeah. and talent evaluators yes. with him. I think it's only a matter of time before we see something like that. I mean, and you, again, you we're made already seeing Chicago, it in Chicago, example, Chicago. Example, right? Yeah. But I think even at a higher level. Yeah. than that. You know what I mean? I think it's only a matter of time. Uh, I wanted to read a few other, of the other things that Jim Rutherford had to say in this interview. Uh, again, you can find it at the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. Uh, Rutherford, uh, this is him talking about the current state of the Canucks, says, I knew it was going to be a challenge. We had some work to do to improve the team. It's probably been a little bigger challenge than I expected in trying to unravel the cap situation here. The sooner we can do that, the sooner we can move forward and improve the team. And that echoes, I think, some of the things we've heard directly from Jim Rutherford and also some of the reporting that we've heard in this market, right, which is that they knew it was going to be a challenge, right? You can look at, hey, Tyler Myers on the books for this much and OELs is on the book for, uh, books for this much and Connor Garland and Besser, et cetera. You can know it's going to be a challenge and then you get in the thick of it and it actually turns out to be even more challenging uh, than they expected. And then the, the the final quote from Jim Rutherford is, we just have to work hard. We'll never get as good as we should be as soon as everybody wants. But I think the opportunity is going to be there at some point in time that we can put a pretty good team together here. Those are the the quotes that stood out to me. And, you know, and I know they talked about this in the morning show a little bit as well, but the the specific line of we'll never get as good as we should be as soon as everybody wants I understand where he's coming from there, but I I do also wonder if it's misunderstanding the nature of the pressure that does exist in this market, right? The nature of the angst. It's not about, hey, you've got to make this team. You've got to take this team from 85 points to 99 points next year. That, that's not the the timeline or the deadline you're working on it's you got to put them in a position to be perennial Stanley Cup contenders right and and I, I still just don't know if the difference between those is fully understood at the front office level for the Canucks right now
1: so I, I wrote a paragraph that this reminds me of a couple of years ago when the Canucks extended Tanner Pearson Right. In in analyzing the valuation of the Tanner Pearson extension, I wrote the following. The deal ultimately looks like it's taken a projected depression in the forward market into account as it's a year shorter and slightly more affordable than deals signed by players with similar track records in previous seasons like Brett Connolly or Avalanche forward Jonas Donskoy. NHL contracts have their own sort of language, and this one says that both sides were aware of the market forces governing mid-level supporting contributors, even if the Canucks didn't pursue that built-in assumption to its more logical conclusion. Yeah. And this reminds me of that. It's like... this: t- The built-in assumption here is this team is far away and this market is impatient. Right? The logical conclusion there, though, is not we have to find a way to get it back on track quickly.
0: The logic... Well, the logical conclusion, in my view, is we have to do this right. Yeah, I I, I would actually say get it back on track is a fair way of describing what needs to happen. That just just doesn't mean just stop climbing up the standings. Just stop
1: digging. Just start cleaning up the mess. If this organization was cleaning up the mess, they'd have no more vociferous supporter than me. Mm -hmm. Truly, truly, like I don't need this team to be good. I don't I don't think they are good now, so I don't care. I'm fine to cover losses because I think I'm going to be covering losses through my 30s anyway. (laughs) Truly, I just want it to have some purpose. I want to at least be able to come on the radio and tell fans of this team, like, hey, honestly, you know me. I hate everything. (laughs) But I at least see some light at the end of the tunnel. And I don't want to be lying about it. I don't want to be squinting and being like, well, I think their draft was bad and i don't think they made sufficient changes there i think their contract work has been brutal i'm not sure they understand the big picture challenge of what this team is facing considering their limited talent their limited cap space and their limited prospect profile but you know ethan bears nice and uh, uh, you know they won the kuzmenko bidding and and i like some of the player development stuff that they've done particularly down in abbotsford like i don't that's not good it's not even close that's a c plus max probably a C semi- my honestly it might be an F considering how devastating the contract work has been in their first cycle now i've said this a million times and i'll keep saying it rutherford's first year in pittsburgh mm-hmm. was legitimately genuinely ugly like from the signpost of his first year through you know uh the sort of end of his first draft class as the pittsburgh penguins general manager you would have been like oh boy that franchise is in for a world of hurt and then he went on this incredible run for a year or for for three, four years. Everything they touched turned to gold. So he's done it before. That matters to me, right? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna defer to the experience to some extent, but I'm a little concerned by what we've seen and not not because of this commentary to be totally clear. I just think I think if you reach like I think the important thing is that if you reach that moment, Where you're like, oh, we're probably not going to win while in, like, in this core's prime years, right? Which you only have three or four more years of them. Anyway, Mm -hmm. can you build a contender before Quinn Hughes is 26? And I think once you realize that the answer is no, and once this organization realizes that the answer is no, and ideally you realize it three years out... (laughs) As opposed to six months before, like, then then I think you can begin to, to make moves with the long view in mind. And I think there's some really interesting possibilities still open to this team, just as there were this summer, just as there were the summer when they made the Oliver Ekman Larson trade, just as there were in October of twenty twenty following the bubble. Right? Like, there's always smart routes. And the moment you stop taking the worst ones, the moment you stop digging. It's amazing how quickly, not your results necessarily, but the feeling around the team can flip. And and let me give you my favorite example right now. Like two and a half years ago, right? The Buffalo Sabres after they oh, fire after they fire um the AGM in Seattle.
0: Uh oh. <sighs> yeah, I'm I know. On his name. Me too. I don't know why. Me too. I don't but have anyways. any
1: idea why. Um but the the after they Bot- fire Botterill Bot- 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 Jason Botterill and it's sort of like just in and around the pandemic and they sort of go super cheap and there's all this news of discord in the Pagula f- led front op- uh, front office in terms of like the business side staff and the cuts and Jack Eichel's dissatisfaction in the injury. And it's just in and around this time they bring in Carmanos a former Rutherford lieutenant mm-hmm. and Sam Ventura famously of war on ice and, uh, and a former Uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, like another former Rutherford lieutenant. Close relationship with both those guys and and Jim to this day. The moment they brought in that horsepower, they started to do some smart things. And after years of just, like, toiling in mediocrity, right, like the desperation of the late stage, or the early stage Pagula era, right, and then the desperation, the statistically uh, inept desperation of the Tim, like, Tim Murray didn't even realize that he was unlikely to get McDavid. Yeah. um, And then, and then you know, I, I think Botterill's a really bright guy. I, I don't know that Botterill um, had a chance, but I do know that what Carmanos and Ventura have done since then, under the auspices of Kevin Adams, has put the Sabres on track to be one of the best-run teams in the sport. And look at the results. I mean... It's arrived a little bit ahead of schedule because Tage Thompson has t- has taken this historic turnaround. I think they really struck gold with Don Granado a-, a hire that when it was first made, uh, I think a lot of people furrowed their eyebrows at. Uh, he's been perfect for that team. He's got Jeff Skinner buying in. I don't know. I don't know how many Canucks fans are like watching a lot of Buffalo Sabres games like I am. But they're so much fun. They're, they're not, pretty great. They might not make the playoffs this year, but they're a ton of fun. Like we would be over the moon with a non-playoff bound team that had that sort of talent on it in the city. Like we would legitimately be so excited. It's amazing how quickly it can turn around if you just stop. If you just aim that gun that's pointed it's at just your foot, I think it's just it's just <laughs> a question <laughs> no. of changing no your way. priorities. That's that's the that's number it. one thing. But but the key the key realization, like I do think the. Rock bottom moment has to be like, oh, we've we've already created an environment where we're not going to be like. The organization might extend Bohorvat still. Mm-hmm. They're probably going to work on it. I heard Sat the other day caption it as a sixty forty probability with like sixty forty staying, sixty forty he gets
0: traded. Okay, but forty percent's a non zero chance. Well, you know what? I've been on it. Uh, like I, uh, oh I know you have based on no reporting whatsoever. It's just based on my like innate doom and gloom fretting but
1: well and based on this franchise's 50 year allergy to making a tough decision but if you understand this team's so far away with so little coming and so little flexibility to do other things that they're not likely to contend in Pedersen and Hughes's prime years then should we extend Bo Horvat becomes a really easy no yes but until you reach that conclusion until you reach that, until you stop raging against the dying of the light, to quote a great poet, you're in trouble. Until that happens, you're digging. And this franchise, I, like, I just don't get the sense from what Rutherford's saying yet that he has. Uh, this also brings up a, a point that Elliot Friedman made sagely a few months ago, which was, if this team gets into a rebuilding mode, the domino to look for is Demko. Mm-hmm right because if you're if you're accepting how far away you are like what's the what i mean what's the one thing that's that i've been i've kept saying is the most dangerous factor in the Canucks tanking effort yeah it's not your demko demko I skating mean, today in pittsburgh carter hart they're seeing it in philly right like carter 100%. hart is doing it for them yeah so that is the domino that is the domino to watch for if the canucks ever get to the point of realizing, of turning the lights on and it's sort of accepting what I see as the obvious truth and which colors all my conversations and coverage about this team, if they ever get to that point and stop digging, that's the domino to look for. That's the moment you'll know.
0: I think Kuzmenko would be, is going to be an interesting one as well. Well, let's talk about that on the other yeah, side. Because I think there's a. it's not quite at the Demko level, but I think that would be a fascinating tale. We will talk about that more on the other side. You can get your text in as well, 650-650. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. here on sportsnet 650 jamie dodd thomas trance with you on a canucks game day canucks talk brought to you by avenue machinery and douglas lake equipment your Kubota all-star team avenue machinery.ca douglaslake equipment.com we are coming to you live from the kintech studio kintech footwear and orthotics canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 1500 five-star google reviews find your perfect fit at kintech.net we were reading some of the quotes from jim rutherford in the previous segment there and you know <laughs> specifically about the uh, the quote about how it was it, it, it's been harder than he maybe thought it would be to unravel the cap situation we got a, a trio of texts on that point. Tim in Vancouver says if they knew it would be a challenge, then maybe don't spend $20 million on wingers. They dug the hole even deeper. Dan in Fort St. John says, you know how to unravel the cap situation? Don't commit 16% of your total to Miller and Mikheyev in the offseason. And Nate from Comac, uh, Comox says, uh, Rutherford can't even take his own advice. How has he helped the cap situation? Uh, and we says, we haven't even included how it looks when they sign Horvat for 8+. And, I mean, look, it. I, I've said a lot of times that if you take away particularly the miller extension but also the McKay of signing i guess to be fair even though it's it's a lot smaller in terms of term and dollars but if you take those two moves away yeah i think i mean there's there's much less to criticize then from this management group right like then you still have the you, if you, you just take away the miller
1: signing yeah and the team went into the season being like we need to see what we are and then you're talking about a team that like really can get worse very quickly with two expiring guys and a t- and like meaningful cap flexibility into next season and and you know then then I think we're talking about a totally different dynamic I I mean the Mckayev deal made me nervous the moment they signed it to be totally honest with you I mean that I wasn't talking on that day I don't think because I was still <laughs> recuperating from covid but um <laughs> that made me nervous the moment it was signed, but it's really the the Miller deal that I think locked this team prematurely once again into this mode where, like, you have to take advantage of the front end of that deal now. You know, like, we... Like, one of Miller's best skills, right, is his first few steps. Like, he's a really strong skater with the puck. His first few steps are, like, high end. And if he loses that at any point, you know, I still think you're going to see, like... The, the power play wizardry, yep. like I know JT Miller's come under uh, some in, uh, criticism in this market. Some of it fair, some of it not. His ability to run a power play, to be the distributor on a power play is like genuinely high. He's up. really good at it. I mean, he's not Nikita Kucherov, but he's in the next tier down of like the
0: best at doing it in the league. Uh, that's an incredible skill set. And that's kind of, to me, I, th- I always think of that as kind of a classic ages really well skill.
3: Right? Oh, yeah. Like puck on Most your definitely. stick
0: on, in zone on the power play is, you know, you can just picture like Joe Thornton was out there doing that forever. Ryan Getzlaff was out there doing that forever. You know what I mean? You Hendrick can, Sedin. You can do that for a long time. Totally. So,
1: you know, there are there are parts of his game that I think will, will but But that first step, if he loses that, then I think he loses his ability to be like, you know, the guy I say he is all the time, this team's best two-way winger. And and if that hap- – anyway,
0: that Miller extension I just yeah. think locked and, in. And, again, it, look, the reason I brought those texts up is I think it comes back to the – if you're prioritizing – if your priority is be a contender in the next three years, right, before Queen Hughes turns 26 or before Lewis Patterson turns 27 or whatever, then those deals make sense, make a certain amount of sense, right, mm. because you're getting still the relatively younger years of JT Miller. You know, Ilya McKay will still be below 30 in those years, all of that. Once you come to that, once you kind of cross that point and decide, okay, you know, actually that's not going to be a realistic goal, then all of a sudden those moves don't really make much sense, in particular the JT Miller one. And in fact, they become actively harmful. And I think what's happened is the fan base kind of collectively has moved from at least being open to the idea of, you know, fielding a contender in the next three years or so to looking at it now and the results this year and thinking, man, that's just not realistic. And oh my goodness, all of a sudden uh, that Miller deal looks very, very worrisome. Uh, 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. So you were mentioning just before we took uh, the break that the kind of ultimate tell if the Canucks ever do truly decide to rebuild a legitimate actual rebuild, it would be if they trade Thatcher Demko. And of course, look, I mean, he is, I think that's right for a lot of reasons. We've heard him even been put in the like untouchable category at points over the last year. Then he's been kind of moved out of it. We know he's on a very team-friendly contract. As you said, goalies can, <laughs> if you are rebuilding, a good goalie can help you rack up some points that you don't necessarily want to rack up when you're in the middle of that process. But the thing with Thatcher Demko, and the reason I brought up Andre Kuzmenko as a guy who would be a very interesting signpost for that one is... You know, I think even if they did decide to explore a Thatcher-Demko deal, like, it's not happening at the deadline, right? That's an off-season move, if if you ever decide to go down that road. Because Menko, they got to make a decision on. They have to make a decision on by the trade deadline, right? Either you get him signed, or you have a very, very good idea of what it's going to take to get him signed and feel extremely confident that you're going to be able to do it, or you've got to trade him. And sitting here right now, you know, I've been more and more skeptical that they actually are going to trade Bo Horvat. I would be really, really, really surprised if they traded Andre Kuzmenko. Doesn't mean it won't happen, and that's the reason it would be so fascinating to me is because you just look at all the the, the things going for Andre Kuzmenko, and I think specifically the fact that he was kind of the feather in their cap for their first offseason, right? They won the bidding process. He's, he's working out so well. It looks great, a great piece of business for them. If you move on from him at this deadline, even even with the cap situation hanging over it, That's a really, really significant change of direction, right? Like you went full court press to get this guy. He's worked out as well as you possibly can. And then what? Like eight months later, you're saying, ah, you know what? Actually, he doesn't fit into our plans. I think it would be a very defensible move, but it would just speak very, very clearly to me that management has decided to go in a different direction. So we're 10 days into when Andre
1: Kuzmenko can sign with the Canucks, right? He, (laughs) He wasn't able to sign an extension until January 1st. We're now 10 days in. Um, I haven't, like, really started annoying all the sides involved with, with regular phone <laughs> Get calls. Get on that. I will. I will. But the sense I have is that it's very early in talks. Very early. In terms of how this plays out, right? So let's start zooming out, and then and then I'll move into sort of, like, what I know, what sure. I think. So zooming out, the strategic advice that you'd give to anybody or that I'd give to anybody the thing I'll probably write at some point when I like craft what I think a perfect Canucks deadline should work look like is you better have the extension done before the deadline or the natural move is obvious, right? And that's consistent with a lot of what Patrick Alvina said about not being able to afford losing players for nothing. It's consistent with obvious best practice, obvious strategic coherence. Um, It's also just, you know, Uh, something of a hard deadline that you can use to get a deal done. Right. The, the, the trade deadline is an effective time to have contract talks because it's like, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. Like there's famous stories like the Alex Burroughs sweetheart deal was negotiated in around the trade deadline. Right. Not a coincidence. It was like, here's our best offer or we'll trade you. Yeah. You know, (laughs) that's partly why I think they had to take care of him on the back end of it. Right. So, there's a fruitful time to do these deals. It's before the deadline. My sense is that talks aren't that deep. I think it's obvious that if you can't get an extension done, you, you know, you you got to look long and hard at what Kuzmenko might return in a trade. How this plays out, my sense of it. Now now let's move a little bit in. Mm-hmm. My sense of it is um is the commu- Kuzmenko's very well set up. Kuzmenko has done himself many many favors. Yes. By as a result
0: of you know he's he's on pace to be a thirty goal scoring seventy point winger. And when you are just even taking out the the specific details of Kuzmenko, but when you're a player who's kind of overachieving in your UFA year, again to kind of take it back to like the level of strategic advice, there's always going to be this overwhelming draw to UFA, right? Like oh, to go for, sure. to get to the open market. The the team that has you and wants to extend you has to make it really worth your while to pass on that. He's been very happy here, though. He's liked it here. He's been given plumb opportunities.
1: Uh, very close re- working relationship between Dan Milstein, who obviously also represents Ilya Mikheyev mm-hmm. and the Vancouver Canucks. Um, you know, I, they did a lot of business with each other last summer in Rutherford's first summer. You know, so two things, two quick things. One is, make no mistake, Horvat and Kuzmenko, unless the Canucks can find a way to... Carve out trade uh, salary cap space between now and the deadline. Miraculously, are somewhat tied together. I think there has to be an awareness. Well, there is an awareness that that you know they they they, they kind of can't afford both at market value, right? What 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 I think is going to ultimately shape this is how what I think is ultimately going to shape the outcome on Kuzmenko is not what the Canucks should do with the future in mind, so much as where. Do, does Kuzmenko's valuation, what his camp feels is fair, come in, and how far above what the Canucks are comfortable with is it? You know, thirty goal, seventy point, twenty six year old unrestricted free agent winger. Is that a seven million dollar player? Are you comfortable with that? Mm-hmm.
0: I think the other interesting dynamic too is that, like, is it a seven million dollar player? It's at least possible. Oh yeah, for sure on the open market. Dynamic point scoring winger, absolutely. If you're a team net that has front cap space, might
1: might be a high end net front guy on the power play.
0: I think the other interesting dynamic as well is that Kuzmenko just talked to like everyone in the league this summer, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he just yeah. had uh, he was just a UFA and probably got a really good idea of which teams are interested in him, which Boy. teams think highly of him, and all of that, and right? Two thirds of the league
1: were interested, yeah, in him on an ELC. Now, my, my sense of it is that he's even. Like there were some teams that were nervous about the foot speed or the fitness level. And my sense in asking around, because obviously if I'm saying that I'm talking to some people who felt that way. Yes. Um, my sense in asking around is he's addressed a lot of those concerns. So it's not just necessarily the teams that lined up to sign him the first time. He's, he's convinced some of the people who are skeptical of his impact that this might be a thing that he might be a thing. So where does that go? And at what point is it too expensive that the Canucks have to have to look to the future? I really find it difficult knowing how this organization does business to imagine them dealing both. Oh yeah, that would be such a departure from everything we expect and everything they say about how close they think they can they are and Honestly, how quickly they can turn around. Even trading one of them would be a huge departure. Yeah, but I mean the the cap math it just is what it is on on keeping them both. Like you're looking at something like what 14 to 16 million in space, depending on where the actual cap number comes in with only Tyler Myers signed among healthy right-handed defensemen, bear costs two and a half to qualify mm-hmm. uh Hoaglander's going to need a third contract and and even though he's in the American League right now like sure you can grind him to a one-year 900k but the bill comes due for that too right um Dermott's one and a half to qualify and sorry did I mention that you only have one right-handed defenseman <laughs> under contract <laughs> one and and what's the weakness on this team? Literally that. On the right side of defense. So can you invest all your money in more guys whose primary value is scoring? I don't know, let's find out. Yeah. <laughs> what if what if we spend 50% of our cap space on purely offensive wingers? It's a bold experiment. It's never oh. been tried before. <laughs> For a reason.
0: For a reason. I will say this. If they trade, even, like, I completely recognize what you're saying about the cap math. I'll still be surprised if they trade Kuzmeco.
1: Oh, And, I'll, and I'll, I think they'll deserve a ton of credit for it so, if they do. Sorry. I think they're going to try and get Kuzmeco. I, I think they're going to try and get both done and then make a decision. That would, that would be my, uh, that's my working assumption at the moment. You mean, Again. like,
0: get down to brass tacks, figure out what the exact number is on both of them, but not actually commit, and then make the decision about who they keep and who they trade.
1: Yeah. I mean, and and maybe, and, like, the, the problem is the right decision. It's, I really find this un- unfortunate because I'm so used to being fairer than I've been about this team, you know, like, and and management's decisions. Like, I'm so used to being, like, the other argument is this, or mm. presenting it how the organization, but we're in this moment where it's actually really clear what the team needs, and increasingly I find myself, like, grossed out by the idea of even equivocating, by the idea of being like, you know, and you can make it work if you sign one. But it's like, there's actually a very obvious right decision, and it's that you deal both. Like, it, it's, not, it's it's a very obvious right decision. And it's not even just
0: like, it oh. It sucks. Well, but. oh, y- I hate it. It's just the right well, decision. But it's also an incredible opportunity. Like, For it's sure. an incredible right. opportunity. It is, it is. Like, I understand it's hard to let go of good players, and especially, you know, one's the captain, and one is, like, as I said, the A guy. A diamond you've mined yeah, out you, of nowhere. you know what I mean? You won the bidding, and yep. you put him in the right spot, and he succeeded, and it's great. I understand that, as you said, it does suck. That's tough. Those are dangerous contracts, by the way. Think about, like, Nikita
1: Zaitsev. Like, those are dangerous contracts. You fall in love with the guy you found. But it's, like, part of the reason that you should trade Kuzmenko is you've got all this money invested in scoring wingers who have zero value, Right. Tanner Pearson's not, like, a scoring, scoring winger. He's a two-way winger. But, like, we haven't seen him in a long, long time. But, you know, Tanner Pearson wasn't playing well to begin this season. Mm-hmm. But Tanner Pearson's a decent player. He was good last year. He was good last year. Is there a world where he has something of a bounce back next year and becomes a piece you can monetize? 100% there is. 100% like, without there without a doubt there is at the next year. Plus, he's still got... Super professional dude, Stanley Cup winning pedigree, does a lot of the hard things, plays in hard areas of the ice. Like, come on. There's – you got to – Brock Besser, Connor Garland, like most of the conversation around those guys right now feels like it's about a buyout. And it's like – you're telling me that if you carve out additional power play opportunities for both and they're the guys playing all the time with your best players – that you can't rebuild some value there and at least see like why wh- why jump into it this year when you can when you're not going to be good next year anyway like do everything this is what i'm talking about about the value resu- uh, resuscitation mm-hmm. project right it's like kuzmenko has value good right trading him opens up opportunity for you to rebuild other
0: players who don't have yeah. values value how long have we been stuck in a uh, buy high sell low cycle ducks? You're right. Correct. Every You're time somebody plays well, it's like, well, we can't lose them. One well, we can't still, possibly
1: lose them. We still get the text in that's like, This team's fine. Just trade Besser and Oliver Ekman Larson and sign Horvat and Kuzmenko. It's like, oh wow, fast fabulous insight. Thank you. I'll you know what? You know what? I I wish Jim Rutherford had thought of keep yes. my good players
0: yeah. as and, a strategy. And like, get rid of on. my bad players without retaining money or, or taking back bad
1: that would money. be ideal, but yeah. that's not the world we live in. Like I mean I just think you have to ruthlessly manage the value of all of these guys and hope that over the long haul you're able to avoid doing the things that are going to hurt you long term which are the buyouts which are you know um losing a guy even if he's not a particularly valuable asset for absolutely nothing right um signing a pair of guys who are 27 28 and still say what's up to You know, lengthy contracts through their 30s, right? Like those are the things that are going to keep this team locked in mediocrity. And 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 for what? Like, what's the benefit of even doing them? We've seen this team right now with Horvat making five and a half and being the third best, highest scoring forward in the NHL, and Kuzmenko making less than a million and being on pace for 30 goals and 70 points. Like, what? You're gonna get better than that next year when they're when they cost. What, 15 million combined? Mm -hmm. Like, come on. There's just, it's just, we've reached this moment, this moment of clarity, and I, I don't even like it. It's not even my, it's not even my natural inclination to be like, hey, there's actually a really simple answer here. There's actually a right and a wrong answer here. There's a clear right path for this organization. It involves trading both. And what's so frustrating is we're having these conversations, and they almost exist in parallel, with how the club actually thinks about their team. And they're wrong. Like, if they actually think this way about the team,
0: they're wrong. And and there's no argument. And to my point about, you know, reframing it from, oh, this really tough decision to lose these skilled players to actually it's an incredible opportunity. You know, I understand, and we talked about it, uh, Jim Rutherford's comments about, you know, the intensity of the fan base and how how they want, you know, he feels a responsibility to do right by them. Well, you know what would get fans really excited if you had three first-round picks in this year's draft, like, that would be incredible. People would be over the moon. If you had your own top-ten pick, and then you trade Horvat for another one, and Kuzmenko for a third on top of that, and you're going into this draft in that, you, you know, holding all the cards, basically, going into it with three first-round picks, like, people would eat that up. And it's not, it's an opportunity, obviously, from a team-building perspective, and all of a sudden you have this, uh, this extra currency in the form of cap pick, or sorry, of uh, draft picks that you can do things with, and cap space. It would also just be great for fans. Like, how excited would our listeners and our texters be if that was the case going into the draft in Nashville? It would be like people would love it so much. It's it's a golden opportunity to set a new direction and actually get people excited for what you're going to do in the summer. Well, and I'm not I'm
1: I'm not in the business of. um Promoting an opponent's work But Craig Button Released his top 10 today Okay Craig Button by the way Is the best As a human being But also What I love about his scouting lists Is he breaks from industry consensus In a major way Jake Frittanen There is zero hurting And he was dead on Dead on And you know in that draft class You know what else stood out about Craig Button's list Relative to the rest of the industry What? Brain point in the first round Enough said Craig Button rules Anyway Button released his top 10 today. Three Vancouver kids in the top 10. Okay. Connor Bedard won. Mm -hmm. And he has Benson and Andrew Crystal. At eight and nine. In the top 10. Yeah. Crystal, by the way, have I done my Crystal thing yet? I don't think so. Have I never done this? I don't think so. With the puck. With the puck. Specifically with the puck. Okay. And only in that one phase of the game. He might be Bedard's equal. Absolute wizard. Now, Bedard also has the speed. Sure. The, the puck battle winning. The, the playmaking. Like, there, there's a ton more there. But with the puck, he might be his equal. Crystal's family are, like, have their, like, 20 years of season ticket holder Let's pin. go. Let's go. Like, legit. Craig Button has two lifelong Canucks fans in his top ten. In addition to another kid from Abbotsford who likes the Oilers. <laughs> we'll, we won't hold that against him. Eh, I kind of will. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You know I love Zach Benson. Yeah. So, I mean, if there's a year to do it, I challenge you to find a better one than this. Like, d- if it's not now, when? If it's not now,
0: when? I just love that. It's like, hey, guess what? We're gonna draft local kid from the WHL. Well, and- you know, a little undersized, but great scoring. <laughs> Great hands. It's not Connor Verdard. <laughs>
1: Who cares? The next closest uh, thing. No, cause the next you, closest thing. Because he, he's, uh, he's incredible and he might be available in the 20s. And hey, look. Yeah. May, well, may, that's what I mean. Maybe, get those extra picks. Maybe for the first time ever you get lucky and you get both. And by the way, close friends who've played hockey together their whole life. Can you imagine? Get that extra pick in the late
0: teens for Kuzmenko and take him. That'd be like a bolt of lightning in this city. It'd be like a bolt of lightning. It would change the conversation, the mood, everything overnight. So, so boom, like that.
1: So uh, this is this is the thing. Like, I I, you're probably not getting Bedard, but you should up your chances. But you're probably not getting him. But there's a ton of other talent at the top of this draft that is fascinating, and some of it that could be available like in the teens, in the twenties, and you have a bunch of pieces that could land you those picks. You know, like there's a very, very clear path forward here. And unfortunately, it doesn't include signing your favorite players. And and it's not just because of who those players are. Like I love watching
0: Kuzmenko. No, it's it's not at all because of who
1: they are, really. And Bo Horvat's awesome. I love watching Bo Horvat. I've dealt with him for 10 years. He's great. He's a great person and a great player, and I'll be stoked for him when he signs his third contract and sets his family up for generational wealth. And by the way, I don't think he's going to be a bad signing. I don't think this year is a total mirage. I think he's meaningfully up to ceiling or his floor as a goal scorer. But what, in terms of what this franchise needs, and you have to consider it this way too, right? I wrote about Oliver Ekman, we're going to go to break. So I'm going to do this quick, but I wrote about Oliver Ekman-Larsen and Tyler Myers at The Athletic. They're the least efficient defense pair from a spending perspective in the league. So it's not just about their performance, right? It's about what having that much negative value, right? 15.5 in actual salary, 13.26 in, in cap hit, on your books prevents you from doing. Mm-hmm. Not just this season, but into the summer. And for Oliver ekman Larson, well beyond that. You have to be so mindful of that. And and with, you know, a 29-year-old JT Miller who's going to be 30 this summer, uh, you know, Tyler Myers who's turning 33 in a month, Oliver ekman Larson who's turning 32 this summer, I mean that's a massive heap that's 20 plus million of your cap that's a quarter of your cap space dedicated to guys on the wrong side of 30 right now on a team that's what how many points clear are the coyotes six still yeah but it could be less if you dream uh, that's all I'd like to see try and build something big that that's all that's it and and there's a very clear answer in my my mind I just don't I just don't see the logical argument against it I really don't. It, it,
0: wh- whatever we'll get into it on the other side <laughs> yes we will uh we'll hear from bruce boudreau too as uh as his team is uh taking on the pittsburgh penguins in a few hours here final segment of Canuck stock coming up sportsnet 650 Talk final segment of the show on a Canucks game day uh, just a few hours away from them taking on the Pittsburgh Penguins, which of course you'll be able to hear. On <laughs> sports, we've 650. almost completely ignored. Yeah, we'll play Bruce Boudreaux here. We've gotten sidetracked as as we do from from time to time on the show, but that's all right. That's what it's big all about. game, big game, big game in Pittsburgh. Yeah will they will they remain below Philadelphia in the standings? That's the big question on everyone's lips right now. Uh, coming to you live from the Kintech Studio six fifty six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber Text Line, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And uh did want to read this text that came in. Are you doing know. the one that I want? Yeah. Okay, wait, wait.
1: You want to read it? No, let's do. Let's quickly do
0: Boudreaux. Or,
1: or, or no, 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 no. Do we have to do Boudreaux? Well, I'd like to. Okay, well, then let's do that first and end with this. I want uninterrupted okay. commiseration on All this. right. So yeah. we'll, we'll get to a, a, a great text. Can I set it up before? Like, let's <laughs> tease it. Sure. To me, this is like the sure. biggest deal. We got in what I contend is the most miserable Canucks fan tweet I've or, like, message, string of words, any media I've ever encountered. <laughs> and I want to read it because, it like, I couldn't have drafted it better. It's just like. There's just something so pure about it. I want to read it and I want to like savor it because it's just like, this is the experience of Canucks fandom distilled into one text message into the 650-650 Dunbar
0: Lumber Inbox. Uh, another pretty good one just came in as well. So we'll get to some of those, but first here is Canucks head coach, Bruce Boudreaux, before his team plays the Penguins.
3: No, no. You never look at, especially at Pittsburgh, go what they've done in the past. You just, I mean, you know who they are, you know what they do, and you know how they play. So you got to play. You got to uh, uh, get your game plan according to them being at the best, at the top of their game. Because if you start believing that they're going to be at the worst, and it's the opposite, you're in trouble. Is there any challenges they pose differently than what you saw in Winnipeg on Sunday? Well, I mean, um, you know, they can really skate. I mean, I always think of that as a as a Pittsburgh trait. as they're they're very tenacious. They're an older team that uh, has been together for a while, so they know how to play with each other. So I mean, it's uh, uh, I mean, but a lot of very similarities as as Winnipeg. Both very good teams. So I mean, um, their special teams are really good. Winnipeg's were too. Uh, um, I mean, Casey to Smith is maybe a notch below Tristan Jerry, but he's a viable NHL goalie, so it's uh, they they got a lot of things that that's going good for them. JT,
0: obviously, we know he plays with a lot of energy, a lot of passion, this is his hometown team. Is that something that helps him, or is that something almost overcranked? It's the first
3: time I've been here with him in Pittsburgh, so we'll see tonight.
0: When you, when you have the season that you've had, um, you know,
1: chasing basically from the beginning, does that take a mental toll on players?
3: Well, I'm not a player. You were though. Yeah, but I always seem to be on teams that were ahead. Uh, but uh, it's—I'm sure it, it does. But you got to keep pushing. I mean, uh, I mean it's only halfway through the season. You know, when you think about it. But I mean, it's—it uh, uh, shouldn't take its toll yet. I mean, it might take its toll in game 60. But uh, I think it's everything's still within reach, and so it should still be. Uh, Thinking along those lines.
0: How do you like the the Bear Hughes pairing?
3: Uh, It's it's had its good moments, you know. I I think they're both two small, uh, shorter, quicker guys, and uh, it's uh, we're still, you know, uh, experimenting, as crazy as that sounds, with uh, the perfect combination. So we'll see.
0: What uh, what do you think of Bear? I mean, you've had him now a couple of months.
3: Well, I think he's got the potential to be a pretty good player. He's uh, strong. He's got a, he can skate. He can see the ice. When he's on top of his game, he's a real threat for us. So, I mean, that's, uh, uh, and you like to think of him as that's in the end uh, where he's going to end up is at the top of his game, nine out of ten games, rather than sometimes uh, being inconsistent like the rest of the group. He's so good at retrieving the puck. He gets the puck, he gets himself a spot, but he always seem,
0: almost always seems to pass. Would you like to see him carry the puck out a little bit more? If
3: he could, because he's a good, he, he can skate while he turns, so I, I would like to see that, yeah. Uh, any lineup changes? Don't know yet. Don't know yet. Cool. Uh, well, that could be, but I mean, we'll have to see tonight because there's, you know, a couple guys that are hurt a little bit. So we'll see if there's any changes. Yeah, Demco, I saw on the ice after practice yesterday. Is that he's game? on the ice right now. That's yeah. positive. I mean, is yeah. he must be he's getting closer. Must be getting closer, yeah. I would think. I hope. Do you think there's a chance he plays? Oh, no, not this trip. No. But uh, anytime he's on the ice and he's taking some shots, then you know he's getting a little bit closer.
0: That was Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreau speaking to the media before they take on the Pittsburgh Penguins in Pittsburgh. Just a couple of things. Of note there, obviously plenty of respect for uh, for the Penguins, as you'd expect from Bruce Boudreau. Uh, one, that Thatcher Demko was, as they were doing that on the ice, taking shots. Good sign, but you also heard Boudreau say definitively no, he will not return on this road trip. So at least four more games uh, without Thatcher Demko for the Canucks. And then I also thought it was interesting that uh wouldn't say one way or another if there's going to be any lineup changes. Uh, for tonight, based on the game in Winnipeg, based on what we saw at practice in Pittsburgh yesterday, and saying a couple of guys might be a little banged up or might be a little hurt, and uh, you know, I can't help but wonder about Bo Horvat's status. Of course, after a little bit of an injury shakeup or injury scare in the uh, in the Winnipeg game, Drancer. But uh, we will see. We will see who is in the lineup and if there are, in fact, any changes. I would bet on a change based on what I heard from Bruce Boudreau there. Well, game time. I mean, we'll see. We'll see.
1: You know, I, that's one where I just don't really have a good sense of it. Um, you know, you won't be surprised to see even a high-profile player sit out tonight. But, you know, at this point, it, it also depends, right? Like, it just depends. Players players will go through a lot of pain depending on their motivation. Oh, yeah. Um, you you want to read this text or should I? S- I'm so desperate to read this Okay, text. you read it. Mike and Victoria...
3: Regular in, texter, by the way. Regular so Shout texter. out to Mike and Victoria.
1: Texted in what I consider to be the purest distillation of the shared misery that so typifies Canucks fandom. If you could trade Bo, Coos, Besser, and Miller, you would have an empty building for four or five years hoping it would turn around, Mike writes. Buffalo still doesn't have its fans back. I will take this mediocre lot Over Shapu, Megna, Yolevi, Berchi, any day. He continues We went that route and came out mediocre, and I am 70 and have given up on a cup. An outside shot at the playoffs is all I can hope for after being a 52 year fan. Mike and Victoria, absolute poetic fire. It's tough. There's something about embracing the pain of Canucks fandom, though, that's just so pure. And, like, if you have – what I'd like to do is invite all of our listeners to exchange a quiet word about dying before the Cups win a a Stanley Cup with us Ah, today. Send in your most reptile brain, miserable Canucks fan thought. And let's see if anyone can even come close to Mike. My bet is not. Like, just the – the the like self awareness mixed with hopelessness of that te- of that text is just so overwhelming to me. Like the moment it came in, my eyes lit up. I was yeah. so excited. I was just like, "This is it. This is the experience of Canucks fandom distilled perfectly into three or four sentences." <laughs> Don't admit that the I misery got you so excited. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> no, you know what? It's not because it's not about the misery. It's like that's what I feed on. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I grow stronger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it's not that I'm an energy vampire. Maybe yes. I am. But this is honestly, this is what it's about for me. What what draws us all to hockey? You know, we did the Botchford Project the other day. Mm-hmm. And almost like three of the four recipients were new to Canada or their families were new to Canada. Right. And they're all huge Canucks fans because it was this, like, sense of community that they got watching. You know, one of the kids was like, we didn't even speak English at home, and I didn't have anything in common with the kids at school. But if I came to school and talked about the Canucks, I could engage with everybody. Yeah. Right? Like, there was this, um, you know, overwhelming sense of how hockey brings people together. This team may never win. <laughs> but we'll still be talking about them. Like, this show's Canucks talk. And what's Canucks talk at the end of the day? You've had one too many. The Canucks have lost. Maybe it's in the playoffs. Maybe it's in the regular season. Maybe they're just in the middle of a hopeless regular season and you don't understand the plan to get out of it. And you turn to your buddy and you're just like, just one, man, just one. Like, that's what this is about. It's not about losing or winning, ultimately. Like, I I feel a need to advocate for for what I think could help this club win. It's about the shared sense of community we have in embracing and sharing that pain with one another. And that text to me just, like, reminded me of what it's all about in a really pure way. It got me excited.
0: I was... Uh, That's o- why we do it! Over the holidays, I uh, I got out of town for a few nights with, uh, with some friends of ours, and uh, my buddy, kind of sheepishly huge Canucks fan, at one point turned to me. We were hanging out and just having a beer, and he kind of said, I feel bad about, like, putting you on the clock, but I, I need you to do, like... 10 minutes of Canucks therapy for me <laughs> right now. like that's how he sees my job it's just like managing yeah. group therapy for Canucks fans he was like I know you do it at work but you just got to hear me out here and my frustrations a little bit And of course I was happy to do that um but it, this text comes in immediately from uh from Rager who says man I'm sad now and then he follows up with I love you Mike and Victoria <laughs> <laughs> which is very nice and the thing I love about Mike's text is You know, we don't get as much of them as we did last year, but we do still get texts occasionally along the lines of, hey, you guys overreacting, this team's not that far away, you know, a couple tweaks here or there, whatever, they're going to be a contender. You start reading Mike's text, right, and you think that's where it's going. Like, oh, what are you talking about? You know, don't trade – don't trade all these guys no but it's but then you get to the are totally end different you get to the end and it's it's <laughs> just it's just the purest
1: form of resignation it's incredible that's a spicy meatball comments <laughs> minor matt i liked that text was perfect we can tank for Bedard and still not and still be good enough for playoffs or a cup
0: contender before and still not be good enough before his elc expires. Uh, Dan in uh, Fort St. John says, I'm going to be 34 this year. I'm pretty sure the Canucks won't win a cup in my lifetime either. Uh, This one from Iron Blair says, I know a cup win isn't going to happen, but I have hope for a first overall pick someday. That's a fascinating one as well, right? Like, okay, the Stanley Cup, no, but just the thrill, the thrill of drafting first overall. What would that do for uh, for some Canucks fans? I love it. Fellas, I'm a
1: 24-year-old Canucks fan who grew up during the 2009- 2012 era, my naive childish mind thought that was the Canucks norm, the Canucks winning culture. The older I got, I realized that was the outlier and what this franchise has been since is the true nature of what this franchise has been and will be at 24 years of age. I also think I will die being a fan of a team okay with mediocrity and hoping for the best and no Stanley Cups.
0: Uh, Even before we read Mike's, we had this one come in as well, which is, you know, we were talking about all the potential moves they could do and the opportunities it would create at this year's trade deadline, and this one comes in. Let's be honest, none of that will happen. Horvat will get injured, and then no trade. They will sign Kuzmenko for 6.5, uh, and Shen is too good in the room to trade. They will then finish 20th. <laughs> <laughs> I like that because you often get like one of those, you know, like we <laughs> yeah. got we get, get Horvat, will get injured a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. Or or they're going to sign Kuzmenko to do my putting the whole, whole three Mosaic and, and then getting all the way up to 20th as well. I was in my good.
1: mom's kitchen when they traded Neely and I heard it over the radio. So deflating. <laughs>
0: Uh, This is a good one as well. Uh, My thoughts as a Canucks fan. The Canucks are a non-playable character, NPC, (laughs) in the NHL world. We don't matter. Background franchise. We do not compete for the Stanley Cup like the real characters do. We just run the same meaningless year out over and over in the background of the league. And it doesn't matter because we also do not matter in the NHL. My life is worse because my favorite sports team (laughs) is the Canucks.
1: Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. It's a little heavy. It's a little heavy for Tuesday afternoon. No, it's perfect. It's so good. Um, If I had kids, says Minor Matt, I would hope they get to experience a Canucks win in their lifetime, because I probably won't. (laughs) However, I'm not planning on having kids, so I would tell other people's kids to learn from our mistake. Don't choose to cheer for the Canucks and save yourself a lifetime of therapy. Hey, Minor Matt, love the text, disagree with the sentiment. What's better than this? Uh, hey, the moment you know, just like just like the moment the Canucks realize the reality of their situation and stop digging, right? The moment we remember, as as I did, thanks to Mike and Victoria today. The moment we remember to enjoy. What what I described, I think it was on Donnie and Dolly uh, last week. The fatalistic whimsy, like I was having that moment during the Avs game. Mm. I was having that moment during the Avs game, and I got a text, and I got a text that pointed out to me all of the. Hilarity of the situation. The, you know, the fact that the Canucks had beat the Avs, like the Avs of all people, that Bedard had won the World Juniors, that Gunther scored the winner, and the team um, knocking off the defending champs to move the wrong way in the standings. Like, just like the perfection, the Canucks perfection unfolding in front of me. And I was like so worked up about the day-to-day that I'd forgot to like cherish the absurdity of rooting for this with a variety of people in this city who all feel kind of the same way about it. We might disagree on what the team should do or how good they are or have those arguments, but at the end of the day, we can all have this conversation, and that's what it's about.
0: That's what it's... At the end of the day, I actually find a great deal of joy in that. Well, look, I do think it is... There is something... To get a little sappy here, there is something inspirational in people kind of coming together through the sadness right and kind of trying to lift each other up and bringing the gallows humor and you know even people like somebody's referencing uh this is way back early early in the season but sat and i did a post-game show together and uh a young man i think he was 16 named bob called in about how like already you know being a canucks fan since he was eight He's so depressed and so, you know, worried about the future of the team. And there was just this like outpouring of support (laughs) and love for young Bob in the text message inbox, right? It was like, oh man, we gotta turn this thing around for Bob. And I do think, again, to get a little sappy, like there is something beautiful about that, right? But people can come together and have that relationship, even if you're you're pulling your hair out. Well, and uh, and at at some point, and at some point, inevitably,
1: mathematically, surely, it will go the other way. I just that's what I think. I just would like to see it happen sooner than later. James from Richmond. I am 53 years old and first witnessed the Canucks playoff run in 82. Snaps, Sne- Smeal, Tiger, and Brodour. I was too young to understand that the Canucks were an underdog to the Mighty Isles. Then, then Snaps gives away the puck to Bossy with a horrible clearing zone pass. Bossy snipes a high right corner goal over Brodor's shoulder. Game over. Series un- over. I never understood what happened, and the Canucks have never stopped breaking my heart since.
0: Uh, there's a couple of other really good ones here. We've only got a few minutes left, but uh, this one unsigned. Uh, this is a wild one. In 80% of Canucks games, at some point, I reminisce back to Marshawn speedbagging bagging <laughs> in the Stanley Cup. As they blow another lead and allow another five goals, I go to sleep with this image still playing. In my head. That is
1: a very tough one. I'm a 35-year-old lifer. My son's name is Linden, and I'm haunted every day by it. I can't escape this team because of that decision. <laughs> There's a lot of Lindens, by the way, in like our generation's sure. kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: So it goes. Hey, I'm sure my daughter will go to uh, kindergarten with <laughs> a couple of Lindens. Uh, Tim says, every time I watch a Canucks game, I am haunted by Drancer's laugh in my head. <laughs> With every classic Canucks moment, that is a hundred percent Bert Hut.
1: I promise you, that's Bert Hut tweeting in. No one, no one is as haunted
0: by my laugh as Bert. Uh, Chet and Burnaby says, "You guys are radio bartenders pouring out depressing sports talk, and I'm here for it. Thank you for Chet and Bar- <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's a good way of putting it. Now, therapy is probably a little too." Uh, Serious. Yeah, putting on airs. Totally. right? Bartender is a better way of Bless, looking at
1: your th- it. Plus, your therapist will never say something like,
0: stop it! <laughs> <laughs> when you're expressing your feelings.
1: <laughs> your therapist hopefully will never just say, nope, you're wrong, <laughs> and end the conversation. Um, I'm a 33-year-old father of a 5-year-old. I wanted to get him engaged in local teams, so we went to the 5-1 home win against the Penguins in October, and he was so excited and happy and was chanting, Bruce, there it is, all the way back to the truck. Is this considered abuse? <laughs>
0: <laughs> By the way, on so I'm I'm not um, you know people are saying they wouldn't let their kids cheer for the Canucks. I'm not at that stage. I have a four year old daughter, like she goes to bed when the Canucks play, right? So she doesn't watch a lot of Canucks games. But you know who's on all the time in the early slot is the Pittsburgh Penguins. So she says she's a Penguins fan and she likes the logo and everything. She's asked for like a Penguins hat for her birthday, and I'm kind of just like. That's not a bad choice. <laughs> not a bad choice. I can see getting behind a, a team that's won a lot of Stanley Cups in their time. Penguins are adorable. Yeah, they are great. got a great cute logo, the history of winning. I don't have anything against them. I can see that. I, I can see going for them for sure. I want more. Neil
1: in Kelowna, 65, also a 52-year fan. In the past 15 years, the Canucks have had 14 first-round picks, which produced exactly six players, two of whom were traded away. Of their 15 second-round picks, seven were traded away, and so far they have found only one NHL player.
0: Woo! Bring in the stats. That's tough. That is extremely, extremely difficult. When you lay it out like that, when you lay it out like that. Someone else said, uh, I can't find it here because we've had so many (laughs) come in, but somebody said that uh, they've been so depressed by the Canucks this year that they have started to watch – Ruins Bruins on a regular basis, which again is extremely dark. Uh,
1: last one is tell people to keep texting it, these in during Sat and Dan's show. They'll be so confused. So I definitely
0: yes, encourage that. Just, just keep on putting it in. Keep on getting <laughs> them in. Just overwhelming sadness and dark thoughts about the Vancouver Canucks. That's what it's all about uh, right here. It is a Canucks game day. They'll take, they'll take on the Pittsburgh Penguins coming up in a couple hours. Canucks Central is next. They'll have your pregame show as well. And of course, postgame coverage with Sat and Bic after the game. We will be back tomorrow to break it all down uh thanks for listening you've got it on sportsnet 650